Chapter Eight of *The Spanish Cavalier* by Charlotte Maria Tucker. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Esther and Simonides. Chapter Eight: Without and Within. Not long after Lucius had quitted the spot, there came to it a single horseman, slowly riding towards the city of Seville. The cavalier was richly attired in green and silver. A broad scarlet scarf was wound round his waist, and its fringed end hung gracefully over his shoulder. His feet, cased in high boots, rested on stirrups of peculiar shape, designed from their size and strength to act as a protection to the rider. A Spanish sombrero shaded the cavalier's brow, and his hand grasped a sharp spear. The horseman was Alcala de Aguilera, in full fico as a picador, bound for the Plaza de Toros. But save in costume, the young Spaniard had nothing in common with the bullfighter by profession. Alcala's face and form were both in strong contrast to those of the low-bred favorite of the Coliseo. The form was tall and slight, and conveyed no impression of possessing great physical strength. The pale, intellectual countenance, with its delicately formed features, suggested the idea of a student or poet, rather than that of a bold picador, as dead to fear as to mercy. The expression on those features was that of intense melancholy, and formed but too faithful an index to the feelings of the heart which beat beneath the folds of that brilliant scarf. Alcala was sensible that he had committed an act of the greatest folly. He had ventured all, his sister's peace of mind, his family's comfort, his own life, for a bubble that was not worth the grasping, even where it was in his reach. Alcala was not one to care for the applause of a mob. Nay, his proud, reserved nature shrank sensitively from the idea of appearing to court it. The greatest success in the common circus would be rather a disgrace than an honor to an Aguilera. He could not raise but degrade himself by competing for popular favor with the professional picadors. Nor had Alcala the incitement of passion to impel him onwards in his perilous career. His admiration of the governor's daughter had been but a passing fancy, a homage paid to mere beauty. It had no strong hold on his soul. The discovery of Antonia's heartlessness and selfish pride had changed that admiration into something almost resembling contempt. Alcala contrasted Antonia with Inez, the vain selfish beauty with the loving, self-forgetting woman, and felt much as did the knight of old, who scornfully flung at the feet of his lady the glove which he had bidden him bring from the arena in which the wild beasts were contending. Were I offered the hand of Antonia de Rivadeo, mused Aguilera, I would not now accept it, though she should bring as her dowry all Andalusia. Thus even in success there was nothing to attract the young Spaniard. But Alcala had scarcely any hope of success, and if the brighter side of the picture was but dull, the darker was gloomy indeed. Alcala had not frequented bullfights. The sport was little to his taste, though he did not regard it with all the horror and disgust which he would have felt had he been brought up in England. But though the cavalier had not been frequently seen at the Plaza de Toros, he had often enough been a spectator of the scenes acted in the circus to know well what dangers attend the contest with a furious bull, and how absolutely essential to the safety of a picador is skill in the use of his weapon. Such skill could only be acquired by practice, and until this time Alcala had never handled a spear. In the grasp of the young cavalier felt unwieldy and cumbrous. He was as little likely to use it effectually as he would have been to climb to the masthead of a vessel in the midst of a storm, having never had nautical training. Superstition, from which Alcala was not perfectly free, although far more enlightened than most of his countrymen, tended to deepen the impression on his mind that he was riding to his destruction. When Alcala had been very young, his mother had consulted an old gitana, famed for her skill and prognostications as to the future fate of her boy. The child had never forgotten the weird appearance of the old wrinkled hag, nor the words of her mumbled reply. He will die in his prime a violent death, and many shall look on at his fall. 
The warning recurred to Alcala's memory with almost the force of prophecy, now that he appeared so likely to meet such a fate as had been thus foretold. Then, to think on the position in which his death would leave his family, made Alcala de Aguilera writhe with mental torture. What would become of his aged parent, widowed and imbecile? What would become of his gentle, loving sister, if their one prop were taken away? They had already parted with most of the relics left of his grandfather's wealth. Not an acre which had once belonged to the states of the Aguileras remained to them now. The mansion in Seville was out of repair and situated in a now unfashionable quarter. Should the ruined family be driven to part with their home, the seal of the house would bring but temporary relief to their needs. It was not without a sharp pang that Alcala thought even of Teresa, with all her faults, so loving and faithful retainer, and revolved the probability of her ending her long life of service by becoming a beggar in Seville. And it was his madness that had done all. He was ruthlessly sacrificing all who loved him, all whom he loved, to the Moloch of his own pride. Alcala, when tortured by such reflections, again and again almost resolved to break his fatal engagement and make some excuse for not entering the circus. But the sneers of his acquaintance, the scoffs of his rivals, the yells of a disappointed mob, were harder to be encountered than the charge of a savage bull. Alcala had not the moral courage to face them. He could not endure to live on to be taunted as the foreign manufacturer's clerk, who with the estates of his ancestors had also lost all their courage and spirit. There was but one thing, and that thing the cavalier lacked, the constraining power of faith and love that could have enabled the Spaniard to throw down and trample underfoot that moloch of pride. But worse even than fears for his family, worse than the anticipation of a violent death for himself, was the awful darkness which to Alcala hung over the future beyond the grave. To die was to him as a leap into chaos. Alcala was, has been observed, more enlightened than many Spaniards. He had used the tapered gleams of man's knowledge, but of clear light from heaven he had none. Alcala had read enough to make him loosen his hold on the vain superstitions of the church in which he had been reared, but not enough to make him grasp any firm hope in their place. The Spaniard did not believe that a priest could absolve him from sin, therefore he felt that those sins were yet unforgiven. He could not ease his conscience by repeating Latin prayers or reciting a given number of penitential psalms, therefore his conscience remained unoppressed. The cavalier had no faith in prescribed penance, purchase masses, or confessions to man as a means to appreciating one who was to him indeed an unknown god where then was he to find peace what was to assure alcala that if he gasped out his last breath that day in the circus he might not be but exchanging the death agony for torments infinitely more terrible because they would never be closed by death the state of mind of the cavalier might with little alteration be described in the words of the poet before him tortures which the soul may dare but doubts how well the shrinking flesh may bear yet deeply feels a single cry would shame to valor's praise his last his dearest claim the life he lost below denied above a more than doubtful paradise his heaven of earthly hope his loved one from him riven these were the thoughts that spaniard must sustain and govern pangs surpassing mortal pain and me sustained he boots it will or ill since not to sink beneath is something still in the anguish of his spirit, the mind of Alcala reverted again and again to Lucius Lapine. The Spaniard was of course aware that his English companion held views of religion very different from those adopted by the Roman Catholic Church. Alcala had secretly wished to know more of these Protestant views, and now the wish became intense when it was too late to gratify it. Alcala thought his English friend the most upright and high-minded man with whom he had ever met, and was acute enough to distinguish that high-mindedness from pride. The Spaniard saw that Lapine had a loftier standard of duty than those around him, and asked himself whence had that standard been drawn. Alcala had never indeed heard his friend converse on the topic of divinity, 
but in many things, some of them trifling in themselves. The observant eye of the cavalier had seen that his companion was guided by a sense of religion. No profane word ever crossed the lips of Lupine. He was pure in his life. He revered the Sabbath in a way that appeared novel and strange to Alcala, but which the Spaniard could not but respect. And yet this noble-hearted, conscientious Englishman was one whom the Romish priests would denounce as a heretic doomed to perdition. How strange, mused Alcala, that from the root of error should spring a tree bearing fruit so fair. The Spaniard had yearned for a clearer knowledge of that faith which was branded as worse than infidelity, and which yet could produce such effects. He would fain have questioned Lucius on the subject, but pride and reserve kept him silent. Only once had the ice been slightly broken. Lucius had been led to allude in conversation to the death of his father, who, when cruising the Pacific, had been struck dead by a flash of lightning. It was a painful subject, and one on which he rarely touched. But the two friends were together alone under the quiet moonlight, and there had been more interchange of thought between them than there had ever been before. It must have embittered your trial, Akel had observed, that your father had no time for preparation for death, no time to receive the last rites of his church. Greatly had the Spaniard been struck by his companion's reply. No, for my father had made his peace with God long before. Not a shadow of doubt darkened the countenance of the Protestant as he uttered these words. Lucius had looked as fully assured of the happiness of his parent as if he had himself seen him carried by angels into the sky. Alcala could not utter the question which trembled on his lips. Have you then no fear of the purgatorial pains which, as our priests tell us, are even needed to purify the good? That question was answered, ere it was asked, by the peace, the more than peace, which shone in the eyes of Lucius. What would I not give, thought the unhappy Alcala, as he rode towards Seville, to know on what basis rested that assurance of hope which evidently made the Protestant look upon sudden death but as a step into glory. Lepine's father had made his peace with God long before. How had he made his peace? How could he know that his sins were forgiven, and that he might stand without trembling before the awful judgment seat of his God? End of chapter 8 Recording by Esther Simonides